everybody trading our sorrows right trading our pain for the joy of the Lord it's good to be with you again it's Wednesday night obviously and we are having a Bible study tonight and appreciated the last few weeks with Blaine Bowman and we really received a lot from him and so uh, I'm heading into a whole new topic and I'll be introducing that in just a second but just a, a few announcements first Remember next Sunday. Next Sunday is Easter. And so uh, it's not Easter? Okay. I thought you were saying, no, it's not. I'm thinking, uh uh-oh, Twilight Zone. But uh, next Sunday is Easter. And so we will be live streaming. Never have done this before. We've live streamed on a Sunday, but never to an empty sanctuary. And so this will be different. But it's going to be awesome. It's going to be um, effective, not just for us again, but for all the churches, for all the pastors who are doing the same thing. God's hand is going to be upon all of us. It's going to be going across the country, across the world. And so uh, it's going to be an excellent service. Praise the Lord. It's going to be unique because of the fact that we are only live streaming. And so... uh, just a reminder that if you would, uh, on your Facebook page, select like, and then also share. That way we get more exposure and uh, we get all of your Facebook friends who uh, will become our friends. And so I just uh, wanted to let you know that. And then let's see, what else do I have? Uh, oh, important uh, announcement. That is, uh, uh, thank you for sending in tithes and offerings. And so... We appreciate that, and I can ask that you continue to do so. Like everybody else, we're in a new paradigm, and so our giving structure is uh, is somewhat compromised because of not having public meetings. But you know what? God is taking care of our needs. Hallelujah. So if you would uh, just make sure that you uh, are able to do that. And uh, I think that's about all I have for announcements, except I just wanted to give you a just a little feedback from last Sunday. So last Sunday, I, I was talking about, uh, uh, well, one, one point that I was really trying to drive home was sanctifying. And sanctifying the, uh, the, your house, sanctifying what you may use for communion. And so uh, I just wanted to... Uh, let you know that I offered up a number of examples that you could use for communion. Because we're not in the church together. We're not providing communion for anybody. We don't have all the cups full and what have you. So you were on your own. And so I had a number of suggestions that if you didn't have juice, you could, you could use water, just uh, sanctify it. And uh, we lose... We're okay. I like hearing that we're okay. You keep going and I'll fix it on mine. All right. And so uh, I had, had offered also that you could use crackers, you could use uh, wafers, you could use Cheez-Its if you wanted to, but just sanctify it, which means you're praying over it, asking God to set it apart now for a holy purpose. And so someone... Uh, in our family, who uh, lives uh, in Baltimore, she told me what she did. So her and her husband were listening at 10.30 at night, and uh, they were just in bed watching the, uh, the live stream, which was no longer live, I guess, but uh, they were watching it on Sunday night. And so she looked for something, and she couldn't find anything, but she found Cheerios. Hallelujah for Cheerios. And so she prayed over those Cheerios, and that became, a, that became part of communion. Isn't that cool? You know, because of the fact that we're not in the church building itself, things are different, but that's okay. And so I'm just, I'm just really, uh, I was excited about that. And that just was, I found that funny and inspiring all at the same time. 
And, so, and from some of the comments that came in, others were saying, hey, we had communion with you. And so uh, let me share about tonight. So tonight is, uh, I want to share a topic called God's covering. If there's ever been a time in our lives where we really, 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 truly needed God's covering, it's now. We've always needed it, but there is a, a greater intensity of needing the covering of the Lord. The church overall needs the covering of the Lord. So that's what I want to share about in this next uh, few weeks. I think that this is going to be a very positive thing for you tonight. I just know that there are going to be some who really need to hear what I have to share, and it's going to be of an encouragement to you. So I'd like just to begin with prayer. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for those who are watching right now. And Lord, though we cannot see each other, I'm thanking you, Lord, that your word remains the same. And when your word says, if two more shall agree as touching anything in my name, that it will be done, that remains the same. When the word says, if two or more shall gather in my name, that I will be there in the midst of them, that remains the same. And so whoever is watching tonight, Lord, we are in one accord. And I pray over each and every one who's listening, who's watching, I pray your blessing in the name of Jesus. I pray for those who may be sick, that they would be healed in the name of Jesus. I pray for those, oh God, who are going through financial situations, Lord, that's out of their control. I pray over their finances. I pray, Lord, that you would send funding to them. Send funds, oh God. And Lord, we just, we just right now, we say, oh God, we surrender our lives to you 100%. And we just thank you, oh God, for, for loving us and keeping us through this difficult time. And last of all, we pray for those who are sick. We pray for the families of those who have perished in this last even just couple of days, and not only in our country, but everywhere around the world. We pray, Lord, for, Lord, for your rescue, to rescue us from this disease, from this virus. And we ask it all in the name that is above all names, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And everyone said, amen, amen. So let me talk about, just for a second, God's covering, because we need God's covering. When we have God's covering, uh, a couple of thoughts I had is, you know, not only do we need his covering like never before, but we need his covering for our mental status, for our heart, for our emotions, for our economic situation, for our health situation. We need God's covering. And so there are many aspects to God's covering. And so I want to begin with the first point. So the first point of God's covering is a hedge of protection. Hey, for those of you who are, you are just mature believers, you've been in church a long time, you've been a Christian a long time, at some point, maybe for some of you, the church you go to, it's almost every week, and you're hearing the pastor, you're hearing an elder, you're hearing someone say, and I just pray the hedge of protection around you. Hallelujah. And uh, they may do it, say it in an evangelistic way, but we all mean the same thing. We want a hedge of protection. Well, I, I want to share about really the most, uh, I would say, popular place in the Word of God where we read about the hedge of protection. And that is going to be in the book of Job. So if you have your Bibles uh, tonight, turn to Job chapter, chapter 1. And we're going to start at verse 8. And uh, I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. And so here's what it says. It's a, a remarkable place of Scripture. And it's remarkable of what took place here, the conversation. I mean, just the first five words are startling, six words. Then it says in verse 8, Then the Lord said to Satan. So we have a conversation. Now, may I 
I share with you, for the Lord to have a conversation with Satan, he's the Lord. He can do that. You and me don't have a conversation with Satan. It has nowhere to go but downhill. It will go badly for you. So don't have a conversation with Satan. But here it says that the Lord said to Satan, have you considered? That is a key word that I want to touch upon right now. Considered. Have you considered, my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And that was his question. Man, would I ever love to hear the Lord say something like that about Gary Peterson or Angie Peterson or Pastor Randy, who's back in the sound booth tonight. Have you ever considered my, my servant, Pastor Randy, that there's none like him on the earth? Man, oh man, what a conversation we enter into in the book of Job. But seriously considering what's taking place, we have a question. The Lord is saying, have you considered this servant of mine, there's none like him. And he refers to him by name. His name is Job. And he says he's blameless. He's upright. He fears God and he shuns evil. I'd say anybody like that is someone to be complimented, wouldn't you? So it goes on to say in verse 9, so Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? Let me just stop there for a second. If Satan is so bold as to come back to the Lord in that type of manner, do you see why it's not a good idea to have a conversation with him? He's willing to take on God. And I'm always wondering, when I've read this, why God just didn't take him out. Take him out, right then and there. All Lord, the Lord would have to do is say the word, and Satan would be a distant memory, or not even a memory. But the Lord has allowed him to continue on. And so the Lord answers, or Satan answers the Lord, but he basically challenges the Lord. This is definitely a challenge you should read it that way or think of it that way when you read it. And again, he says, does Job fear God for nothing? Question mark. In verse 10, it says, have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? Three arounds. First of all, have you not made a hedge around him, have you not made a hedge around his family? And last of all, this is interesting, have you not made a hedge around all that he owns or his possessions? And so as we look at it, we, we can see here that, uh, that there is a challenge going on, and it goes on to say that, that you, uh, Satan said, you have blessed the work of his hands. Don't you love that? God blessed the work of the hands of Job. And his possessions have increased in the land. So now he's laying out his case to God. Verse 11, he says, Oh, but now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Again, I'm wondering why he is not a speck blown into the universe somewhere. Me and you, we would not dare say something like this to the Lord. But he began to dare who knows how many years before this point when he said to himself, why can I not be elevated in the heavens or in the heavenlies? Why can I not be like God? And so we see that there is a conflict that's about ready to take place. 
And so it says in verse 12, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Oh, right now, Satan is rubbing his hands together. He is proverbially licking his chops. He is seeing prey, P-R-E-Y. But then the Lord says, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So we have two things. Basically, let me rephrase that. We have two individuals who are considering. God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? On the other hand, Job is being considered by Satan in a way that says, and to God, he's also saying this, that he only has what he has because of you. His blessings are because of you. He is blessed by you, and naturally, he's going to be your favorite child. I think Satan was also very, very jealous. And it goes on to say that, uh, that Satan said, but if you take your hand off of him, not only will he turn from that favored status, he'll curse you right to your face. Let me, let me just talk again about the word consider. So from the Hebrew, the word for consider is translated to mean this. And I thought this was a fascinating definition. To consider would be, as a good illustration, what a spy does when they go and they spy out a situation. It could be a spy in our government who is sent out to some foreign land, foreign country to spy on a nation. It could be uh, the 12 spies that we read about and the Old Testament they were to spy out the land. And the whole idea of spying out something is to consider something and to consider the weaknesses, to consider the territory, to consider, get this, how can I get an advantage? Anytime in war there is spying, it is so that your army can get the advantage over the other army. Spied out their situation. We have what is a fascinating tool in our armory called drones. And the drones are able to spy out for us from thousands of feet up above uh, the ground what is going on in all areas of the world, pretty much. And it's able to see with its lenses, with its, its high-definition cameras, what is taking place in certain areas so that the United States knows how to develop a plan of war or a plan, basically, of action. And so to consider means to consider or to spy out or to find the weaknesses. Now, I said all that because this is what Satan does. He goes and he probes. It's also called probing. You're probing, you're probing the defenses of your enemy. Sometimes there's action done in a war that was simply done to probe the effect or the defenses of the opposing army so that you have a better idea about how effective you can be by doing this or by doing that. Now, we need God's covering because, folks, right now, every one of us are being considered by Satan. He has an old, a whole army of demons, and they are all out, and they are probing the land, and really, we are the land, humanly, our flesh, even. We are the land. We, especially as the servants of the Lord, we are a threat to Satan. And so he is constantly probing. He's considering 
what we are, what we're doing. He is considering right now what is going on, and let's just take this country, because I, I think, uh, I can't remember what the total number of countries, but I know it's way, way over. In fact, it's, it's not, it's almost 200 countries that are affected with the coronavirus. But I want to just look at the United States for a moment. So in the United States, I believe that Satan is considering our nation. He's considering the heart of our nation. He's considering the resolve of our nation. He is considering the spirituality of our nation. It is well known that, at least for most of us, we are regarded as a Christian nation. And so our Christian part of our nation is being probed by the enemy, especially right now, to see how strong we are, to see where our weakness is at. And one of the weaknesses, actually there's many more than one, but obviously this one is just well known, is fear. And I know fear is talked a lot about in, in, uh, within our country because people are fearful of contacting the disease or the plague, or they're, con you know, they're fearful of death. They're fearful of what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day. We, we know we have a large stimulus that's going to be taking place, but it's not enough to totally replace what all has been taken. So now we find ourselves more than ever before needing to rely upon the Lord. And that is also, you can look at it this way, we don't even really, for the majority of the churches who have elected to not gather together, well, the believers are not even going to their own church. You have to be at home and be a believer. You have to, you have to be in your residence, house, apartment, whatever it might be, and you have to be the believer there. You're, you're not able to uh, go to church. You can, you can follow our live streaming, and, and so many people are doing it, and I praise God for it. It is uh, something that the Lord has allowed us to take advantage of. Praise the Lord. But there are many of you that you need to be in church you need the fellowship, you need the worship time, you need to hear the sermon, you know, you need to hear the words, you know, and uh, we need to be more than hearer of the words, we need to be doers of the words. So we need the message, we need, again, the fellowship that comes from fellow believers. The fellowship, and the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, koinonia, it's a great word. It, it means to come together in a, as a community. And so right now, some of you are finding it difficult to keep your, your spiritual Christian walk where it needs to be up here because you don't have the advantages of, let's say, being in church. But you and I, we have to be able to exist without a church. This is a building. I love the building. I appreciate the building. It represents so much. But we need to be able to serve the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And actually, the, the, uh, the true word is to love, to love the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we need to be able to do that whether we're in a church building or outside of a church. So right now, I suggest to you that with this topic, we really truly need the covering of the Lord, and we truly need a hedge of protection, a hedge of protection. And it is a hedge of protection that God put around Job that Satan had already scoped out. He had already, he had already went against the defenses he had probed those defenses, and he found Job to be super strong. He found his witness to be a true witness. He thought that this man was basically 
He was not someone that he could touch. But he put that all on God for God's covering and blessing being upon Job. But I see a similarity today. We also need the protection of the Lord. We need to have this hedge of protection that will not just keep us safe, and I'll share in just a moment about some of the advantages of having a hedge of protection. But again, the enemy is going out of his way to probe all of us to see how he can get to us, to get you to, to become depressed, to get you to, uh, you, know what this, you know what Satan said? He said that without your covering, O oh God, he will, Job, he will, he will just blaspheme you to your face. He will curse you to your face. Now, I can't even believe that any of us that you're listening to this today would have any thought. But I do know one thing. The enemy, according to Jesus, and we know this so well, he is out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to have our life ultimately. And so, my friends, if you get bummed out to the point where you are in a state of depression, where it's more comfortable to go to your bedroom, turn the lights out, and just get into a fetal position, then you're starting to succumb to the enemy's desires and wishes. And I would, I would emphasize to you today to call out upon Almighty God and call out upon the name of Jesus. And if you begin to feel like that, stop and go in the name of Jesus. Satan, get away from me. Hallelujah. And so the hedge of protection, let me, let me just talk about that for a second. And so again, the, the Bible says in Job chapter 1 that God put a, a hedge of protection around Job. He also put a hedge of protection around his family. And then third, he put a hedge of protection around everything that was owned by Job. The other day I had uh, a privilege to go to someone's house here in Huber Heights and to pray over their house. And I took, I took the anointing oil with me. And I took the anointing oil and, and, I, and I rubbed some of the oil over the, the top part of the door and on the door jams and I prayed over the occupant of the house, the person who owned the house. But I also prayed for the house itself. And I also prayed for the blades of grass in the yard. Because the property belongs to that property owner, to that person. It's her property. And I was praying in the name of Jesus, let there be no devilish activity over the property, over the person, over the family. Hallelujah. And that's what we're supposed to do, is we are supposed to get the protection of the Lord, a hedge of protection. And so, as, as I look at, uh, at some of the, um, even my own notes here, I'm thinking about a hedge of thorns. This is kind of a good description. The, the hedge of, of uh thorns, and that's what oftentimes, that is the hedge. The hedge of protection is a hedge, really, it's a metaphor, but it's a hedge of thorns. And especially in the days of the Bible, property had to be guarded and protected. There were a lot more animals back then in Israel than there is now. Many, many, many predators. And so they would have vineyards, They'd have other crops. Sometimes it was even a place for animals such as goats and lambs and uh, uh, cattle perhaps to be protected in a type of, a, of not just a stall, but a protected place where they could be in a pen. And the best way to protect them from the enemy coming from without was to use bushes of extremely sharp thorns. 
Now, I'm going to ask Angie if she could help for just a second and pan up to the very top of that cross. So at the very top of the cross is a crown of thorns. And a man by the name of Howard made that crown of thorns. It's very difficult to do because it's very dangerous to work with. You have to have very heavy gloves in order to weave that into a circle. And of course, we have it there as a reminder that Jesus had a crown of thorns. Folks, we're not at Easter yet, but we don't have to be at Easter to remember that Jesus was tortured. He had a crown of thorns. Those thorns, that crown right there, I actually put up by myself. And I have to tell you, I was nervous the whole time I was doing it. I was using a, a very, very long rod, and, and I was trying to place it just in the correct way. And I had heavy gloves on, and I knew that if I made one mistake, it would come flying down that pole right towards my hands. And I can tell you, it's extremely sharp, extremely sharp. It will penetrate you, puncture you, before you even know it. So the metaphor here is that the hedge of protection was a, actually what they did in the Bible days. They put, they put a hedge, a hedge, which was what we think of a hedge of lilacs or a hedge, but this hedge, it was out of thorns. And the thorns would keep the enemy out. They couldn't jump over it. They couldn't bite through it. They couldn't dig under it. It was lethal. It was lethal. Now here's, a, here's the flip side of that coin. You know what the thorns also did? They kept the animals inside that didn't want to stay inside. And so it worked two ways, both ways. Both were good ways. I'll give you my own metaphor. Well, it won't be about thorns, but it'll be about Angela's chickens. And so we have, I think, six chickens, five chickens. And we have five chickens, and they have a chicken house. Then there's a chicken pen, and those are the areas where they, uh, in the chicken house, it's a very small place. It's shut, or that's where they go in at night. Then there's this big cage, and it's locked, and it's uh, metal on top, on the sides. And then there's another uh, part of the yard, which is fenced off for just for them to exercise. That is in opposition to have what you call free-ranging. The chickens, if we were to ask them their opinion, it'd be a very short answer because their brain is just very small. And if they had their choice, they would say, we want to free-range. We want to be wherever we want to be. We just want to be walking around and strutting around. The unfortunate thing is that when they do that, we've lost some of them, and so to predators. And so we don't do that anymore. We keep them in a nice area that they have enough room, but they are, they are fenced in. Sometimes we need to be fenced in by the protection of God. We need to be fenced in by what we call the hedge of protection God's covering to keep us safe from the enemy. Oh, I think I can actually hear across the miles some people saying amen. Hallelujah. Because you know that there have been times where you needed to be protected from one of the worst enemies you can have, yourself. And so the, God's covering can work both ways. God's covering can be to protect you from what is outside, 
but also to protect you from getting to the outside where you shouldn't be when you want to go free range. I think there's a whole other sermon here. And, uh, and free range would be a, a good sermon title. But I think that maybe you're following me. So these hedge of thorns were put around the animals. And so when actually Satan used the word, and he says that, and he actually accused God of putting, let me just read it again. He says, uh, so Satan answered the Lord and says, does, not, does God, uh, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, or a hedge around his household, a hedge around all that he has? And then he says, on every side, so I'm really serious about this covering that God has given to us and the need that we have a hedge of protection, God's protection. And so as we look at, at where we go from here, again, we think of the blessing it is to have God protect us. And we find out that the hedge of protection or the covering that God gives is about things that you own, your possessions, your house or the place where you dwell, the things that belong to you, as well as your physical health. It is for your, to keep us from sickness. It is to help us to stay healthy. It is for many reasons it's to protect our salvation. You know, you have to protect your salvation. We need the covering of God to help protect our salvation because the enemy is constantly on the, uh, he's lurk, lurking around wanting to steal, again, your, your salvation. And so it's so incredibly important. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, Paul had this to say. He said, he won't allow us to be tempted above that which we're able to bear. Have you ever heard that scripture? I'm sure many of you have. Let me say it again, and I'll finish it. He won't allow us to be tempted above that which we're able to bear. Now, I know some of us, you've maybe had your own conversation with God saying, I thought you said, well, that's not happening in my life because I'm not fighting off the, and resisting the trials that are out there and the temptations. But this is the word of God. He won't allow us to be tempted above that which we are able to bear, but will comma, with the temptation, comma, provide a way, oh, I got to stand on this one, a way of escape. Hallelujah. God provides a way out, a way of not just protecting us, but a way of escape. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so Satan is insisting now to God, back to the story of Job, he is insisting that Job is only walking with God for his own personal benefit. He is declaring, he is arguing with the Lord God that, again, you take your protection away from him, and you take away the things that he has, he'll curse you to your face. And so this is the case that is being built by Satan. And by the way, whatever Satan has done to Job, he will and has been doing for many millennia and, and centuries to all of us, to humanity. He wants us to come under the attack, his attack, and he wants to see us fail and to fall. And so there is uh, an accusation going on at all times. 
you might be aware of what it says in Revelation chapter 12, 10. In chapter 12, verse 10, it says that he is the accuser of the brethren day and night. He is, another version says, tells us he accuses us before the Father day and night. I've never quite understood the whole reasoning behind that as well. That Satan would have an access and be able to even now make accusations against us to the Father. But he does. Hallelujah. And he does not only at daytime or, or nighttime, but both, day and night. And so that's what he does. That is what he does. So listen, I'm going to tell you something you know really, really well. Satan is your enemy. He is not your friend. He only has one intention in mind, and that is eventually your death. And so we have here this, uh, this battle between dark and light. And, and you know what? Again, if Satan had his way, he would steal your finances. Maybe some of you already felt like that has happened. He would steal your retirement fund. He would steal your joy. He would steal that which is precious to you. Maybe it's another, maybe it's your family member. Maybe some of you have actually lost someone to this virus. And so I, I want to I give you just a, a little bit of advice. It may be a little bit coarse, but I want to give you advice, especially because I can't see you anyway, so I'm emboldened. And I just wanted to say to you, watch your mouth. Because what comes out of your mouth, according to the Proverbs 18.21, it says that there is the power of death and life in the tongue. And if Satan, again, can get you to go to a dark room and to seclude yourself and to get into a feeble, fetal, it is feeble as well, but if he can get you to get into that position, then he is... He is winning. He is winning. Sometimes Facebook, uh, and you know what? I'm thankful that we can do this on Facebook. Facebook is the medium that we are using to be able to stream from right here in 4990 Old Troy Pike from this very place and to be able to reach out all across the country, again, across the world. It is amazing. It is amazing. But sometimes Facebook also has its negative qualities as well. Something uh, that will oftentimes, okay, I'm just going to say it, annoy me, is when someone will just say, with no other commentary, a bad day. No other thoughts about it. A bad day. You know what? You just said something with your mouth. I may lose a, a few views here this, this afternoon but, or this evening, but uh, that's okay. Because I want you to be successful and not defeated. And when you're saying bad day, you are admitting with your mouth, you're declaring with your mouth, with your tongue, negativity. And my brother and my sister, God has made us to be overcomers. Not to be overcome, but to be overcomers. I encourage you, I encourage you, do not listen to whatever Satan has to say. Be one who would say, you know what, this is a bad day. You know, if you want to post something, post this. It is a bad day, but with the help of Jesus Christ, I am more than a conqueror. Now you just said something that is positive. Now you just went forward with the word of God and you quoted the word of God and you quoted what is a theological truth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So be careful. Be careful of what you say. I want to end up tonight and um, it's 7.15 so I'm going to do this relatively quick. 
So April 8th, today's April 8th. April 8th through April 20 is Passover. And so we begin Passover on April 8th, which for us is today. And uh, Passover will, will begin at basically sunset on April 8th. And I think what a perfect time to share with you about Passover because you want to talk about the covering of God. The covering of God is all over the Passover story. And there is such significance. I was teaching last Sunday about communion. And communion has a lot to do with Passover. In fact, they had a Passover meal together. Those 12 disciples had grown up in Israel, and they had grown up participating with a Seder dinner or a Passover meal. They had grown up knowing what a Passover dinner was to be, all the components, all the various types of food. And you remember, Jesus sent some of the disciples out to go get what was necessary for the dinner. Well, they would know. They have been participating in that all their lives. They know what's part of a dinner. And so Passover is so incredibly important because Jesus became the Pascal Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God because His blood was the only blood that was without flaw that could save us from our sins. So let me just share with you from Exodus chapter 12, and that's where you'll find the story, by the way, the story of the Passover and the last plague as well. And so it says now in chapter 12 of uh, verse 1, beginning right there, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, this month shall be your beginning of months. And that month, by the way, is the month of April. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the 10th of this month, every day shall take for him, or every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, well, then let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your, your account for the lamb. In other words, a lamb did have some expense, and if a household couldn't afford it, go in with your neighbor's. And from there, we get the Greek word potluck. Just kidding. And it goes on to say, now you shall, or your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. They were preparing it. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So this was a community event. All together. One accord. And verse 7 says, And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. And by the way, that's, they were all the ingredients that the disciples were out getting for the Passover meal that would be called the Last Supper. Verse 9, do not eat it raw, talking about the lamb, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. And thus 
you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, with sandals on your feet, or your sandals on, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. In a way, it was, it was a takeout. It was, what, what was it called, a curbside service. I mean, it was going through the drive through I mean, you get it in a bag and you're heading off. It wasn't to stay. It was to flee out of the land of, of Egypt. But listen to this. It says, uh, for I will pass through the land. Well, let me, let me back up. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be unto you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Let me just jump down for three verses. Chapter 12, verse 21 through 24. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of, of hyssop and dip it in the blood. It's like a broom. Dip it in the blood that is in the basin. The basin is where the lamb was slaughtered, its throat was cut, and the blood went into the basin. And it says, and strike the lintel or take the, the broom and dip it in the blood and cover or strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And then listen to this. I want to, I'll be closing with the, 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 just the magnitude of this whole verse. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. That is in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 22. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses or strike. Okay. Sorry, we uh, had just a, a pause in our live stream, but we're back. So let me, let me finish my, um, my verses here in Exodus chapter 12. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts. The Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. I want to share with you some news that took place in Israel this week, and it is going into effect on this very date, April 8, the beginning of Passover. The Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, announced on Monday, and he gave an ordinance of his own to the Israeli people. Listen to what he had to say. And, well, and part of it is not what he had to say, but it is part of the article that's repeating what he had to say. So, so listen to the article. It says, a complete lockdown over the upcoming Passover holiday to control the, the country's coronavirus outbreak, but offered citizens some hope by saying he expects to lift 
widespread restrictions after the week-long festival. And so that's what uh, the announcement that, that Benjamin Netanyahu had to say. It says, Netanyahu's announcement came as leaders of the Orthodox Church in neighboring Egypt said that they were suspending Easter celebrations because of the coronavirus. Israel has already greatly reduced or restricted movement to help slow the outbreak, allowing people to leave their homes to buy food or other essential activities. In a nationally televised ad address, Netanyahu said the government was further restricting, listen to this, please, was further restricting movement for Passover, which begins Wednesday evening with a festive meal known as the Seder. There's a Seder going on tonight at my son, son's house, uh, Nick and Deborah, in Cincinnati, and we're going to try to catch some of that. And uh, it's a Seder dinner. And it goes on to say in this article, Every family, this is the ordinance from Benjamin Netanyahu. Every family will sit down for Seder night on its own, celebrate only with the immediate family that's at home with you now, he said. Beginning Tuesday afternoon, Israel will ban movement between cities. From Wednesday evening until Thursday morning, Israel will not be allowed to leave their homes. Now, I want to say that one more time. Israel will not, Israelis, I, I want to restate that. Now, Israel, Israelis will not be allowed to leave their homes. Did we not just read that in Exodus chapter 12, almost 2,000 years ago when it was first written? Israelis will not be allowed to leave their homes. Netanyahu said similar travel restrictions would be in place for the upcoming holidays of Easter and Ramadan and April, and, uh, and, and he just said a few other things. And it says, uh, the concluding statement is, he said, there are positive signs on the horizon and that preparations were already underway for a, a possible easing of movement restrictions after Passover. Never before in modern Israel, I think, they became uh, a modern nation in 1948, I believe. Never before has a prime minister gave an ordinance, a command that lined up so completely with Exodus chapter 12 about the greatest event in its history of being liberated from Egypt and what would become eventually the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who would become on Passover weekend the Savior of the whole world. Hallelujah. Never before. And then I'll just share this with you. This has been typical of Passover over the centuries. In Psalm 105, verse 37, it tells us that they ate the Passover meal. The entire nation was in perfect health after they ate the Passover meal. In 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 13 through 20, it goes on to say that when the Passover was reinstated by Hezekiah, you remember that story, he reinstated it. It had not been observed for a very, very, very long time. It said... The Lord healed all the people. And what did we talk about last Sunday? We talked about what Paul received from Christ, a revelation about communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we talked about the table, the Lord's table. We talked about communion. And I read about this part, that because some of you have not given it its worth Many of you are sick and weak, and the whole implication is that there are those of you who have died because you have not respected the, the meal itself, the ordinance itself, and some of you have even died. So, folks, I, I just want to close with saying these are exciting times we are living in.
I, I know that there's, a, there's so much that is uh, negative, but these are exciting times that we are living in. Now, some are thinking that after Passover, that this disease may go away, that the uh, uh, a virus or the virus may uh, have a vaccine finally. I don't know. All I know is that there's power in the Passover. And that Passover has been part of God's plan in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So hallelujah. And I love this. God makes a way where there is no way. And whatever's going on in your life right now, he'll make a way when you don't think there's a way. And like our theme song, Trading My Sorrows, trade them. Don't hang on to them. Trade your sorrows. Hallelujah. For the joy of the Lord. Praise the Lord. And we'll see you on Sunday for Easter. God bless you and may he keep you. No music.